Welcome to the Aspire Podcast, a podcast all about the diverse stories of those who have aspired into vocational Christian ministry. As we share people's stories, we hope to excite, encourage, and equip you to consider what it would mean to aspire towards vocational Christian ministry. Derek Brotherson is the principal of SMBC, City Missionary and Bible College. Derek studied arts law at the Australian National University and worked as a lawyer for the Australian government in Canberra for a number of years. He and his wife, Anna, then moved to Sydney to study at SMBC. And after that, they moved to Southeast Asia with OMF, where they served in a variety of settings, including a Bible college, a missionary training school, and a women's refugee. Um, we're delighted to have Derek on the podcast. It's a super massive privilege to have him on, so I'm super excited. Thank you so much, Derek, for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Aaron, for having me and Patty. Awesome. The other exciting thing about this podcast is the first one where we've done audio and visual. So for those of you who are actually seeing Patty and I now for the first time, yes, we are incredibly less attractive than you thought, but here we are. Hey, tell us about your upbringing, Derek. You originally studied arts law at university, which is super fascinating. Did you originally plan on being a lawyer or was cross-cultural mission always on the horizon? Well, um, cross-cultural mission was not always on the horizon for me. Um, When I left school, I actually wanted to be a professional musician, and that was my first thing I tried, but I I actually got an arm injury and couldn't continue that, but then I wanted to be a lawyer for the next few years while I studied. Um, The the journey to cross-cultural mission, it it started a bit later. Uh Uh-huh. So what um, what, what type of instrument did you play or what musician did you want to be yeah i played the cello so i moved to canberra to study at the canberra school of music when i first uh, left home Uh uh-huh uh-huh and so you originally thought that so how did then law come on the scene uh well um when i when i realized i couldn't pursue my music dream because my my arm condition wouldn't let me Mm. um I, i tried to work out what was next and and law interested me for all sorts of uh reasons i liked the sort of uh thinking, reasoning, arguing aspect of it and um, seemed to have gifts that matched up well. So that's what I pursued. Mm, wow. And so you went on to study arts law at ANU. While you were down there, can you tell us what, the, what that was like? Were there any things in that experience that made you shift towards thinking about mission or was it still not on the radar then, even then? Yeah, so my years um, – at uni, studying law were really life-changing for me uh, in terms of my faith. Um, so I was really blessed to have a, a, a wonderful upbringing um, with a you know, Christian home, going to church, um, knowing, knowing the good news. Um, but the, the time in my life where it really started to uh, sink in and I really started to understand the implications of what Jesus had done and what that meant for my eternity and also for my life right now, that, that came for me in those years at uni. So while I was uh, heading down that path towards being a lawyer uh, was actually the time when the seeds were being sown for, for bigger changes down the track. So when I, when I first turned up at uni, um, this Bible study leader found out I was a Christian and just started inviting me along to a Bible study he led. At the same time, someone who was doing a ministry apprenticeship uh, found out I was, I was a Christian and just kept inviting me to do one-on-one ministry with him. And I politely said no to both of these guys for quite a while, but they were so persistent that I eventually just said yes. <laughs> and I turned up at the Bible study and I started meeting one-on-one with this 
ministry apprentice and reading the Bible. Uh, and I started going to the AFES uh, Bible, weekly Bible talks. And the combination of those three things, as, as well as church on the weekend, uh, slowly began this, this radical transformation for me where I was just beginning to understand um, just how amazing God's grace to me was and then just how significant that was for my life um, in terms of what is the goal of my life. Um, I think that the, the maybe unwritten unspoken understanding in my own thinking about the goal of my life was to pursue uh, success and, and happiness and uh, status and security. Um, but I, I started to discover an even more exciting one during those years, which was uh, serving the one who had given his life for me. Eric, I wonder, I thank you for sharing that. I wonder whether or not that resonates with a number of our listeners who may have perhaps come through university campus work and being impacted by the gospel. Was there something particular that brought about a greater global vision for you to go and do cross-cultural work as opposed to just sort of being energised to rightly understand the gospel and live as a Christian? Mm. So the, the move for me from wanting to be a lawyer to having a global vision actually came in stages and it came quite slowly. Um, I, I know that even towards the end of my degree, I still didn't have a passion or even an interest in being a cross-cultural mission, missionary, in, in leaving Australia and, and doing that somewhere else. Looking back, I can see that there were people that were sowing the seeds for that. So we, we had mm. um, a couple of pastors at our church. One of them was a, a guy called Dean Ingham who was preparing to head out to, um, to Italy to do uh, missionary work with CMS. Uh, so he was talking a lot about the the needs of the world and he would do presentations in church talking about the under-resourcing of some parts of the world compared to the over-resourcing, well, the more the more resourced parts of the world. Uh, and that would make an impression on me. And I, I, I guess at that point I was building a real conviction of the needs, uh, the gospel needs, the desperate gospel needs in some parts of the world. Uh, but at that stage I wasn't seriously considering being someone who would myself go there. Um, I think in those in those most of my years at uni, it was a time where I was I was growing to 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 love Bible reading as the way to understand God, His plans for the world, um, laying sort of laying the foundations for a few moments later in life when I would be challenged to think cross culturally. Mm, great, thanks. So then you sort of made the move into being a lawyer. Uh, what was that like working as a lawyer for the Australian government? And in, in what ways might it have prepared you for some of the things that you've done subsequently to that? Overall, I loved it. It was exciting. It was fun. Um, I was working mainly in the sort of border security area. So um, in a sense, it was a kind of a, a, you know, a young boy's fun job trying to catch the baddies who were drug smuggling drugs or, or <laughs> weapons into the country. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I got to do it from the safety of my office rather than be the law enforcement officer out on the high seas or anything like that. <laughs> but just giving legal advice, um, uh, working out what what the laws meant for different situations. I found that quite invigorating, quite fun. How did it uh, prepare me for life and ministry ahead? I think um, well, one of the things that I was really honing at that stage was just uh, a skill of reading a text, trying to understand what it means and then apply it to a situation. Now, that, 
um, in God's providence turned out to be a very important skill for ministry that would lie ahead, Bible college teaching, discipleship and so on. Um, possibly even a bigger thing that I just learned through those few years where I was working as a lawyer was just what it was like to work in a, a largely non-Christian environment and, and be someone who holds firm to Christ's ways and laws and, and vision for the world in a group of people who aren't seeking that, um, to, 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 to love them, be good friends with them, reach out to them, try to share Christ with them, but at the same time um, live differently where there was a, was a clash between the way they wanted me to live and mm. um, the way Christ called me to live. So that was, again, I ended up living in a, amongst a people group that were 99.9% non-Christian. <laughs> so this was a great preparation uh, for that, just uh, seeking to live that, that balance between living for Christ and reaching out to people. Mm, that's really interesting, Derek. Can you tell us about the practical steps that you took going from law to being in Asia suddenly as an OMF, OMF mis- missionary? I, I know you mentioned that it was sort of gradual, but how did, how did that sort of radically change? Was it just sort of one day you're like, you know what, I'm going to quit and I'm going to talk to IMF and I'm over there. What were some of the things that happened there? Yeah, so um, it didn't suddenly happen for me. I didn't wake up one day and find myself in <laughs> Southeast Asia. Um, I guess just to continue that, that story I started before, those, those years of foundation laying when, when I was part of an AFES ministry, being ministered to by really good people, uh, helping me to, to basically get a biblical worldview um, I think that prepared me for a, a key moment in my life when I was pushed to actually consider seriously um, uh, abandoning plans to be a lawyer and going into full-time vocational ministry overseas. And that came in the form of a girlfriend for me. So I had ah. a, a girlfriend uh, who, for most of her childhood, had dreamed of being a cross-cultural missionary. And um, for most of my life, I had not. <laughs> and... Um, even though by this stage, towards the end of my uni degree, I'd, I'd been quite heavily involved in ministry and quite a lot of people, um, pastors, AFES staff workers, had been urging me to strongly consider going into ministry. And up to that point, I basically just said no to all those invitations. I could see in my head that, that it was a very needed and a very logical response to the gospel, mm-hmm. but in my heart I didn't actually want to at that point. Um, so it was a girlfriend that changed all that. <laughs> um, so uh, there was a there was a key moment um, for us when we were we decided we would we would read our way through different books of the Bible together and talk about what they meant for our life. We were, at this stage, we were reading through one Corinthians. We got to one Corinthians seven, and Paul talked about it being better not to marry. Uh, and in in the context, that seemed to be um, especially better not to marry if if doing so would would somehow slow you down from serving God or hamper you and. Um, we kind of realised at this point, or it, it brought to the surface something we'd both acknowledged, that we had quite different futures imagined. Um, my girlfriend, now wife Anna, um, wanting to head into cross-cultural ministry and, and me not. Um, and so I, I said to her, assuming that I would be the centre of her world, uh, I don't want to be a missionary. <laughs> wow. Um, and expected her to say, okay, that's fine as long as we can stay together. But she actually said, well, maybe this means that we should break up. And so that was quite a sort of defining moment for me. Okay, I've got a choice to make, don't I? <laughs> Do I want to stay with this girl who I'm so interested in um, or, or, or break up and pursue the life that I think I've got planned? Mm. And so I, I thought it, because Anna, Anna was so interesting to me, I thought at the very least I need to ask myself why. Why have I always 
said no to people who've encouraged me to go into full-time ministry and particularly cross-cultural ministry. And when I, when I gave, just in my, my own sort of conversation in my own head, when I gave the honest answer rather than the answer I had been giving people, which was a theologically correct one, the honest answer was actually there was a whole bunch of idols in my heart, like I'm afraid to do that. Uh, I'm worried about the, the loss of security, the loss of status, the loss of comfort. Uh, the reasons I gave in my own heart for, as to why I didn't want to do that. By then, I knew they were all bad reasons. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't theologically good reasons. They were. They were reasons of fear and not willing to trust uh, God. And um, so that was a kind of critical point where I realised that some of the big decisions I was making in life uh, weren't the ones I wanted to make as a follower of Christ. And so that started a process of challenging, challenging that, uh, praying about that, tr- tr- trying to reflect on why that was and take steps towards. Um, towards releasing myself from those idols, being released by God from those idols. Mm. What were some of the joys and challenges that you found being on the mission field in Southeast Asia? I mean, we could do a whole series of episodes on your time in Southeast Asia. Unfortunately, we don't quite have time, but just if you can pick Mm. a couple of the things that you sort of found were both joys and challenges, maybe. Yeah, so... um, Challenges? Wow, there were there, there were plenty. I'd say the first year in Southeast Asia was by far the most challenging of my life. We had yeah. health crises, um, evacuation of a one-year-old child to to Singapore for emergency surgery. Um, the, the the Bible college I'd gone to serve at um, could no longer take me, so I, I, it seemed like I was we were there with no reason or visa to be there. Okay. Um, our teammates all got sick and left, and we were teamless, even though we were going to have a team of three other. Family, so there are all sorts of big challenges. Just culture shock, uh, learning a language, uh, but I would say the joys way, way outweighed <laughs> those. And and the joys were slow, slow burning and slow building. But looking back, uh, I miss I miss that that time of life so incredibly because there was just this profound joy of coming to know followers of Christ in this other culture and work with them to to, to build the kingdom, to share the good news, to disciple students um, to see students gain the courage to take christ to very dark and needy places um, with some of the skills that we learn together in the classroom and see them go out and make a difference to see see people come to christ from from backgrounds where there was strong persecution against them if they didn't do that um, to have this beautiful international community of, of missionaries um, koreans americans people from Hong Kong, Canada, the US, um, working together, uh, people I would never have otherwise met, but working together for this precious cause. Uh, so, so special, yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's, it's common in, in, in talking about missionary to focus on the costs of things we give up, and that's, there are a lot that we give up. But I, can, I feel like I can say, looking back, um, the things that I gained, the things that God gave through new family and, and new experiences of trusting him in hard situations. I, so, I'd also want to highlight that to people considering going into mission. Yeah. So it sounds like there's lots learnt from the experience of being on a team of um, trying to navigate just significant life changes, both stage of life changes, and um, trying to just work in a culture that's not your own, that one that you're just unfamiliar with. Is there anything in particular that you think you were taught or you learnt about cross-cultural ministry? I'm sure there's lots of things, but was there a couple Mm. of things that maybe stand out to you having spent all of the years that you were doing? 
Yeah, yeah. There's certainly um, certainly a team experience is a very rich one and a really great environment in which to live out Christ's commands and, and, and work together. Um, what did I, I learn through that process? I think one of the big things I learned was that God is is active and at work. So, so when we turned up, um, there was a strong impulse to, in the first year or two to give up and go home. It just seemed like we're in this culture with 99.9% of the people are this majority religion, non-Christian religion, um, strong persecution for them if they if they would ever leave that and turn to Christ. Um, a, a very hard language, a language that was difficult to learn and therefore express the gospel in. So it seemed like so many uh, obstacles and challenges, but then over the years that followed, seeing seeing God at work, working through imperfect um, missionaries, imperfect local people to bring about his purposes, I guess that just grew my faith because I can see, well, it's it's God building his kingdom. We're, we're playing a part by obeying him and, and doing what he calls us to do, but this, this would have been impossible if it was just up to me to persuade someone to turn to Christ. Um, and so when, when, when he does that, see that he's at he's at work so that was a big thing a big thing i learned yeah wow it's pretty inspiring now obviously you're no longer a omf missionary in southeast asia but you're back in sydney now as a theological principal how did that happen well what were the things that led to that well it came a little bit um out of the blue for us it, it came in the form of an email from some people at SNBC saying um, the principal of SNBC is, is retiring. Um, there's an ad out for the next one. We'd like you to consider applying. A few people sent an email to that effect. Um, and that for us began a process of thinking and praying and asking, is this, is this the best way we can use what God's given us, both experience and gifts and so on, uh, to serve the kingdom? And um, after a fairly long I think it was a four or five stage interview process, which even included some members of the SNBC board visiting us in Southeast Asia and watching us in action. Oh, really? Uh, we eventually um, ended up being appointed and, and then moving back at the beginning of last year to start serving here. Wow. And what does a theological principle in Sydney compared to a principle in Southeast Asia do? Is it similar? Because obviously not many of us are theological principles. Some of us might be thinking, oh, I want to be a theological principal. What do you? What does your sort of your week look like, Derry? Yeah, so I wasn't a, I wasn't a principal in Southeast Asia. So I was a, I was teaching subjects and and discipling students. So it's a hmm. it's a new world oh, for okay. me. Um, I'm not sure I can compare it to what the, I know the principal I was under in Southeast Asia had a very big role. Um, my role here, as I see it, is basically to to lead the college in pursuing the vision that we have. So um, our vision is to see thousands of loving, skilled graduates taking the light of Christ to a dark and needy world. Um, my, my job is just to, uh, to, to lead us in making sure we're, we're holding that vision front and centre. So I keep reminding faculty, reminding students, inviting prospective students to come and join us in pursuing that vision together um, to resource faculty, resource students with whatever they need to pursue that, that vision um, and just to, to, to hold that at the, at the centre. So that's as I see it, my job. So that, that involves some preaching, some teaching, uh, and lots of coming alongside people and, and encouraging them and resourcing them. Mm. Mm. Obviously, within the just the Sydney region, there's a number of 
um, significant Bible or theological colleges mm. um, with often fairly significant sort of evangelical heritages. Um, what are some of the sort of distinctives that you've been sort of made aware of of SMBC? Um, and maybe I guess it's the moment to shameless plug, right? Just here's, here's your <laughs> chance, right? Why? Why SMBC? What's mm. what's particular about it? What's distinctive about it? And obviously, as the principal, you'd love to see thousands come, and maybe some of our listeners are thinking about SMBC. What's mm. what's sort of particularly distinctive or attractive about it? Do you think for them? Yeah, so I guess I can speak both as a as a graduate who experienced some of the distinctives, and now as the leader who's seeking to shape us according to those those distinctives. Um, but I, I'd want to start by saying yes, there are a number of um, evangelical colleges and I'd want us us at SNBC to see ourselves as in partnership with those other great colleges working together for this same goal. So um, what, what I actually would like to do in describing the why SNBC is probably say here are our values because um, I, I think what I'm about to say, what, what our values are, some of them I would, wouldn't say are distinctive to SNBC. So the first one is, is centred on the Bible and I, and I know there are other colleges with a with with that as their value as well. So I don't think that's distinctive about us, but I think that's very important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, the first two, we have six, we have six core values. So I'll just, I'll just mention those now. The first two, uh, Bible and mission, they're in our name. They're, they're really clear. So centered on the Bible, a, a conviction about what the Bible is and that the whole curriculum should be shaped around that. Um, passionate about God's mission, um, which doesn't just mean come to SNBC if you want to go overseas. Uh, a little less than half of our grads end up overseas, but um, it's it's a it's a passion to see God's mission carried out by His people, whether that's in Australia or overseas. That that sort of is the reason this college was founded by our OMF founding father back over 100 years ago and, and continues to this day. Um, but some of the other, I guess, key core values for us. Um, the third one that we've identified is growing spiritually. We want to be a group of people who, who, who see growth in godliness and Christ-likeness happen at the same time as knowledge. Um, community-oriented, so it's it's one of the colleges um, in Australia where you can come and live on campus and have that kind of immersive experience. Um, I think that's that's not just, though, for our residential students. It's this conviction that we have at SNBC that ministry is, is about relationship. And so ministry training, really good ministry training will happen in the context of relationship. And so we try to build our program around bringing people together over food or ministry activities or prayer and giving a space for, for these formation of communities where where the formation can happen. And that's um, that's, that's really important to us. The, the last two values are interdenominational. It's a diverse group of people from different theological convictions um, backgrounds, but with a similar conviction about the essentials of the gospel and the need to do ministry, and that's that adds richness to to the experience when you come to study at SNBC. Um, and the last one, so we just start, we did, we spent time my first twelve months as principal clarifying these values, so they're all very clear in my head. The last one is mm-hmm. um, we're focused on ministry outcomes, and and so that is we. we in all we do, we try to we try to be talking about, thinking about, reflecting on what's this. How's this going to translate to a ministry outcome? And, and that's like in SNBC, that's especially reflected in our two centres. We have a centre for mission and a centre for preaching and pastoral ministry where ministry skills are especially focused on and trained so that you'll build on the theological knowledge that you gain in some of the 
Bible and theology subjects and turn that into a sermon or turn that into a, a cross-cultural expression of the gospel or a, how to plant a church in a culture that's different to yours or even one that's the same as yours. So that's that sort of ministry outcome focus. There you go. There's my shameless plug. That's really helpful. Thanks, Derek. So many great things there that I just think are fantastic. One thing that's been happening over the last sort of months or perhaps years has been sort of this global phenomenon of leaders in the church, unfortunately, falling. Um, and there's been sort of lots of, lots of conversation about spiritual formation and and theological colleges and how do we form people. Do you have any thoughts about SNBC's view on formation, how that should occur and sort of the overall purpose of someone going to college at SNBC? Yeah, yeah. So these uh, these incidents from around the world of people uh, falling into sin are tragic and a real warning to us. Um, but I, I would say, even if they hadn't been happening, we have enough in the in the Bible to be to be challenging us to to commit ourselves to holistic formation. Um, so we've actually spent some time as a faculty talking about this this quite a bit uh, ourselves in the last 12 months, uh, talking about the relationship between pursuing theological knowledge or academic excellence and then pursuing uh, growth in godliness, Christ-likeness, spiritual formation. And also a third one, pursuing ministry skills. How do you communicate the gospel? How do you lead a Bible study, etc. cetera? And, um, yeah, we've, we've affirmed very strongly that we... we we're committed to holistic formation and we want that to be dripping its way through everything. So we don't want to see a, an Old Testament class or a theology class as where you do your academics and then a prayer triplet as where you do your spiritual formation. Mm. We want to see every aspect of the college curriculum have all three of those things embedded because if you, if you grow in one area, let's say knowledge, without the accompanying obedience, that's a recipe for a, a very big fall. But if you grow in obedience without the knowledge, well, you're not, you're not really even sure what you're obeying. You might be obeying the wrong thing. So there's a, there's, a, there's a big problem there. And if you don't have the ministry skills to to, live, to communicate that to others, then the Great Commission is under threat, um, at least in, in our own expression of it. So we, we want to see, I think as a college, we were very committed to, to having all three growing at the same time. And I think that the learning and community is really important for that. If you're... If you're living out your life in, in community and if you're accountable to others and if you're able to share your struggles and hopes with one another, um, that is a good biblical environment for that kind of growth and hopefully will establish patterns that you will take with you wherever it is you end up serving God when you leave college. SNBC offers full-time and part-time. Do you have any thoughts about that, about should students do one or the other? I know, obviously, you approve both options because they exist at SNBC. But, um, but any thoughts about how does spiritual formation happen in each of those? Is it different for those different options? Yeah. So um, it is different. And people who come part-time are, are often coming part-time for different reasons. So we have some people at SNBC who will do, who are in a full-time job, uh, non-vocational ministry job. They'll, they'll They'll come and do an evening class, probably once, one a year or something like that. Mm. They're seeking to, to, to grow their skills and understanding for, for lay ministry. Um, 
my my prayer for someone like that is that they will be growing in in spirit, spiritual formation, ministry formation, theological formation, all of that in that one class they attend, mm. but they won't get the full SMBC package from, from us, and that's probably not that's that's okay because they're they're part of their local church. They're getting all sorts of different inputs. Um, uh, there are mm. others who do part time study who are already involved. They're already they've planted a small church. It's turned into a it's going well, and then they say, "Okay, now I need some 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 some, some uh, study to give me some deeper foundations for this new role I've got." Um, for some of them, maybe the best thing will be to pause uh, that ministry and come full time to study. Um, but for some, they choose for various reasons, sometimes to do with family and the church, to to sort of do part time both. And again, I think that the, the formation that they're getting is a partnership between that church where they're having these formative experiences and us. Mm. So again, we don't offer the full package, but um, that's because we're only with them for some of it. Um, I believe for many, possibly most, the, the best uh, grounding will be that full-time experience, which at SMBC is, a, is an immersive one. And where where the, the community that attaches to study is is, is more substantial one rather than if you come for a time and leave. Um, so we offer we offer the different options because different people have different life circumstances. But we do want to put out a really strong challenge to people to consider the full time option, particularly if you are not yet. So, so a lot of the significant reasons people have that for not for studying sometimes are that they've got children or a, a ministry role that. They, it's not yet right to leave. Um, I would say people in their mid-20s to early 30s often don't have that list of reasons. Mm. Some that are considering pulling back from full-time study in that position sometimes do so for reasons that, that might be more out of fear that God won't provide rather than, than a good ministry reason, if I could put it that way. So I, to those kind of people, I'd want to say, well, let's, let's consider whether God might provide. Let's explore your options there, there is something amazing about that immersive experience of full-time study mm. and um, uh, don't give up too quickly on the possibility that God might provide through people, through the church, through Centrelink, um, for mm. what you need in, in order to, to study. Although that's really helpful. I was trying to think of some of our listeners and uh, my question was, which is sort of partly answered, is what do you think are some of the things that prevent people from sort of jumping into more formal theological training? Mm. Um, and it sounds like maybe the fear of the Lord providing might be a significant step for some if they want to consider doing, say, full-time for a number of years. Are there other challenges you think that sort of that sort of early 20s to mid-20s, maybe even to early 30s, as you're talking with prospective students who might end up not coming to the college or might not pursue any formal theological training, what do you think are some of the blockages that they're finding and what advice would you want to give to them? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess I've spent 10 years closely analysing Southeast Asian culture and I feel like I'm just one year into trying to understand, get my head around <laughs> Australian culture, which has, gosh, changed a lot since I was gone. Yeah. Um, but one thing I've noticed is that the average age of an SMBC student has gone up about four or five years since I was a student. Right. So that seems to suggest a trend to people deferring study. And I understand that this is, uh, this is a trend more generally across um, just not, not just in theological study. There's also a, a, 
a greater push towards part-time um, and also once people get into the workforce, uh, a greater move, push towards changing jobs more quickly and maybe having a combination of part-time jobs. So there does seem to be a, some kind of a, a trend, and I'm still getting my head around this, and you two have probably got your head around it a lot better than me, <laughs> uh, a trend towards a kind of reticence towards throwing yourself fully into something like this. And, and I realise that theological education for most is a major re-diversion. So it was for me, you know, I'd, I'd spent five years studying law, I'd only worked as a lawyer for a few years, and here I was jumping in, starting again in some sense. Um, so I realise it's a big commitment. It is a big sacrifice. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel I yet understand what are all the reasons that are holding people back from that. Um, but I guess I, I do want to say to people, if it's an issue of trusting God to provide, if it's, a, if it's an issue of I want to keep holding on to that at the same time as trying this, yeah. I want to encourage some people to consider something a little bit more radical. Um, and I, and I know from the Bible, from stories like Abraham's, and I know from my own experience, and there's plenty of times where I haven't trusted, but the times when I have stepped out into the dark, not knowing what comes next, but trusting that God's promise that he will provide as we obey him and carry out his work. I know that when I've done that, I've discovered him to be a faithful God. And so I want to encourage, um, listeners to, to bring that mindset to these kind of decisions. It's great. That's a good word of encouragement for our listeners. Amen. Oh, I think that's a beautiful way to finish as well, just remembering the faithfulness of our God and providing for us and, and overcoming the challenges that we may face in aspiring to ministry. Any other final things that you feel like you wanted to say, Derek, on your test to these people listening, thinking about going to missionary work or vocational ministry of some kind? Well, I, I just... I'm so encouraged that a podcast like this exists and that the people out there, you, you out there who are listening, <laughs> I just encourage that you are. I think that's, that's wonderful. I think it's, it's possible at a time like this, yeah, where there's lockdown, where there's um, COVID, where the future seems very uncertain and economically we're not going to be as good as we thought we were a few years ago for a long time. It, it's easy to have fear about will I be okay in the future mm. and I know that that kind of fear has understandably hit people in their 20s and 30s harder than it's hit people older like me um, but I, I just want to say rather than now is a time to buckle down I'd say now is a time of opportunity the world's had this dramatic shock <laughs> that's helped us to see uh that life is fragile and um, now more than ever perhaps people would be aware of their need for something more solid and something more eternal and so now is a time of opportunity and I would I would love for places like SNBC and and the other evangelical colleges around the country to be flooded with more and more people who've got that, that vision to take the gospel to a to a dark and needy world both here in Australia where the needs are, are massive and in other parts of the, of the world where they're also massive and in some places um, even more acute. Oh, Amen. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with us, Derek. Mm -hmm. and really encouraged by your story and all your wisdom. And, um, yeah, it must be a busy time for you, so thank you so much. Yeah, we really, really appreciate it. So thanks for your time together. It's absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Derek.